Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk to a uh, property investing rule of thumb that suggests that you should buy property and never sell. Uh, And the basis of the rule of thumb is obviously property prices trend higher over time. They always have, probably always will. Uh, And as such, if you hang on to that property, you'll benefit from the power of compounding capital growth. Uh, And there really is no easier way to build your net worth than benefiting from compounding capital growth. Now, of course, I would change the rule of thumb. Uh, and and just add a little condition in there, I would say buy quality property and never sell uh, to ensure obviously that you maximise your returns. So not just any property uh, and anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a while would uh, certainly understand that. But the reality is sometimes, you know, it is actually a smart thing to sell property, uh, even if it is a quality asset, if it really helps you move forward and gets you closer to achieving your lifestyle and, and financial goals. And so during this episode, what I wanted to talk about is four, probably four of the most common, I guess, situations or scenarios uh, where I have or would or will uh, recommend to clients that they are divest of property. So the first one's pretty obvious, and that's when uh, investment returns have been poor. Uh, now, of course, and mostly that really refers to capital capital growth, you know, because that's really why we're investing in property. The rental income's good, uh, of course, and we can look to ways to maximise that. But ultimately, we're investing in property so that it doubles in value every eight to twelve years, uh, something around that range. Uh, now, if we look back at past growth, that can give us an indicator on whether we should retain the asset. But it's not the be all and end all it's quite possible that we invest in fundamentally sound assets, but they just don't perform over the period of time that we've owned that asset, uh, particularly if that's a shorter period of time. So really what we need to do is form a view about its future capital growth prospects. Uh, And we can certainly obviously reference and rely upon and historic growth in order to form that view. The reality is that investing sometimes requires a lot of patience and discipline and something I'll be talking about doing a podcast episode on, in fact, uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, So I did a podcast episode back in 2018, uh, so quite a long time ago now, Uh, one of the earlier podcasts, in fact, and what I did is I did a bit of analysis on how bad does a property have to be to warrant selling it. Because obviously, if you're divested of an investment property, uh, you know, it triggers capital gains tax if you're lucky enough to make a capital gain, uh, and then selling costs and so forth. And I arrived at the conclusion that the underperformance, it needs to underperform by at least 2% per annum. So, for example, if if your target uh, capital growth rate is 8% and the property you have owned has done 5%, well, then that's a big enough gap to warrant divesting. Uh, but if it's done 7%, you wish you had have got 8%, well, uh, it's a shame, but it's probably not worth, you know, worth divesting of it. Now, I believe that there's almost never a bad time to buy a good quality asset, particularly one that you uh, want to hang on to for the long run. And by extension, that means that there's never a bad time to sell a dud asset. Uh, well, that's true to a large extent, but I think it also pays to be a bit strategic about it. 
And the reality is that a dud asset almost always has one or more impairments. And when I say impairments, something that's retarding its capital growth. So it could be on a busy main road, something like that. After all, that's what makes them a dud asset, of course. And uh, so as such, it can be difficult to sell a, a property that has some impairments in a, uh, certainly in a buyer's market. Uh, you know, so that's when, uh, you know, buyers really have the upper hand, I guess, uh, and certainly in a balanced market. So the, the best time to sell those sorts of assets are in more of an buoyant market where there's high levels of buyer demand, that there's a lot of positive sentiment going on, uh, and they're the best times to sell that sort of asset. So if you've got an asset that needs to be divested of, um, being careful or or choosy around the timing of that sale, if, if possible, if the circumstances allow it, uh, tends to make sense. The next reason or situation where I would recommend uh, or at least consider uh, selling a property is is around liquidity or lack of liquidity, really, illiquidity. So if we think about uh, property income, it's relatively low. Like if we think about you know gross rental yields, uh, for a house you're going to get somewhere between 2 and 2.5% two and, and for an apartment maybe 3 to 3.5%. Uh, but that's before you've paid for expenses such as you know council rates, insurance, maintenance, property management, and so on. So really, net of those expenses, uh, you'd be lucky to receive somewhere between 1% and 2% of a property's value in terms of net rental income. And that's before any interest expense if you've got any mortgages that relate to that property as well. So it's a pretty lazy asset income-wise uh, that his property is. And the obviously the obvious negative attribute of property is 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 that it is illiquid. You know you can't gradually sell down a, your property ownership like you can with a, a share portfolio. And, and really, it's a case of all or nothing. You know, keep, keep it all or sell it all, um, which you know gives rise to you know substantial capital gains tax consequences as a result. Uh, so investing in property or investing most most of your wealth in property uh, while you're working. Uh, it isn't such a bad, it doesn't produce such negative outcomes really because while you're working, you don't rely on or, or need investment income or you don't need to access any capital as well to fund living expenses. Uh, however, when you're retired or approaching retirement or even semi-retirement, you know, the the additional income and or liquidity gives you more options. So for, therefore, in this situation, uh, sometimes clients will benefit from a change of asset allocation. So they sell down some, asset, some property assets and invest in other asset classes. So let me share with you a, a recent case study for a, a plan that I recently developed for a new client uh, where he and his wife um, held two investment properties. Uh, one of them that they've held for more than 20 years, the other one for around or close to 10 years. And they've diligently repaid all the debt associated with the property. So they've got two unencumbered uh, properties. One was okay from a performance capital growth perspective. One was okay, not shooting the lights out, but but serviceable and and decent. The other one was a bit of a dud. Like it had uh, produced very little uh, in terms of capital growth. Uh, and they were keen to retire in the next couple of years. And the rental income alone after expenses and so forth, of course, there's no interest expense now, but even after basic property expenses, really wasn't enough to allow them in order to do that. And so my strategy was, let's sell one asset, one property asset. Um, We can invest it in shares that's likely to generate much higher income and also still allow us to access capital if needed be. 
And of course, we would sell the dud asset rather than the good one. Uh, you know, that just makes, uh, makes sense, makes logical sense. Uh, and the way that I really looked at it in this client scenario is that, okay, sure, that, that one asset's good, one asset's a bit of a dud. So you can look back at it and go, well, that's a bit of a mistake. But really, one of the good things about property is it is a bit of a false savings plan. Like this client has bought this asset and then, as I said, diligently worked a way to repay the loan. Uh, and so the way that I look at this asset is, okay, we haven't got the growth, but it's really just been a full savings plan. And now's the time to cash in that full savings plan and turn it into something more liquid that's going to generate more income. Uh, and, you know, that that's kind of the wise thing to do. Um, and obviously it helps them, you know, it's necessary if they want to retire, that's kind of what they have to do uh, in order to achieve that outcome. Okay, the third reason to sell property is to take advantage of a cycle. You know, most investment markets move in a boom-bust cycle uh, where there's times then where the um, asset class is overvalued and there's times when it's undervalued. Uh, and it's quite possible, you know, to sell an overvalued asset class and invest, reinvest those monies in an undervalued asset class. Uh, and doing so reduces your investment risk and uh, ultimately drives a longer-term return. Look, it's worth noting as a bit of a sidebar that uh, it's my view that investment-grade residential property um, is a lot less cyclical than most other investment asset classes. And really, investment-grade residential property tends to switch between either a growth period or a flat period. Uh, and I've got a link uh, in the show notes to a chart that I've used or referenced many times that sort of shows that it, there's no sort of boom and then bust. It's really boom and then sideways movement. That's uh, so a little bit different there. But there's other markets that are boom bust. Commercial property markets a good example. That's quite cyclical. Um, and uh, even there's other sort of uh, segments of the market, geographical segments like uh, beachside property, for example, that can tend to be or certainly has historically been a bit of a boom-bust uh, sort of market. So again, I've got another case study to share, a personal one this time. Uh, so my wife bought a commercial property during the global financial crisis in 2008. And actually, um, this is before we were married. Uh, in fact, before we were together. Uh, and uh, 2008 turned out to be a pretty good time to buy property. I, I bought some property in 2008 too and, and did very well out of it. Uh, and it makes sense, right, I'm digressing here, but it makes sense when overall sentiment is negative with the property market, that's a good time to buy. When everyone's exuberant about property, that tends to not necessarily be a great time to buy. So uh, anyway, uh, the tenants of this commercial property, uh, which was a tech company and they'd raised, raised some money, so this was spending, not spending their own money, uh, offered us a ridiculous amount to buy the property back in 2020, so a couple of years ago, which we accepted. So at the time, we were receiving a rental yield of about 6.6%. That's based on the original investment, of course, after expenses, noting that commercial property, the tenant pays for most of the expenses except for land tax in this situation. So a 6.6% yield is pretty healthy, right? Uh, and then based on the sale price, it means that we generated 9.2% compounding capital growth over the 12 years of ownership. So really, if you add the rental plus the capital growth, it's a 15.8% annualised return, which is 
just unsustainable. You're not going to get that 15% uh, return forever, of course. And mean reversion tells us a period of very of below average growth or even potentially a crash or correction typically follows a period of above average growth. And I would certainly say 15.8% is above average growth. So we cashed in, we took our money and ran, and we thought, well, we can invest that in um, more attractive investment opportunities. And it's worth noting in this circumstance that we were able to eliminate the capital gains tax liability by making a super contribution. Uh, so they're called small business uh, rollover concessions. Uh, and we also, you know, that sale also helped us upgrade our home. Uh, and uh, the, the reason those two points are important is that, you know, it's important to consider transactional costs and also opportunity costs. So what, why sell? Uh, is there a benefit to doing so? Does it help you achieve your lifestyle and financial goals? And like I said, the the residential property market tends to be less cyclical, but there's other t- types of markets like that coastal beachside location, and, and they can be tend to be more boom bust. So this can still apply uh, to residential property at times as well. Uh, and so sometimes it makes sense to crystallise that profit, particularly if it helps you uh, adopt a, a more suitable asset allocation or invest in uh, markets that exhibit better future opportunities or, or eliminate non-deductible debt. As I said, quite often there needs to be a another side of the equation other than let's just look at the investment. We need to have something better to do with our money uh, in order to justify a, a sale. And the last example that I want to share with you is to upgrade. And, and this is particularly um, relevant to uh, home purchases. Uh, and we we might need to sell because of borrowing capacity restrictions. And, and this is a really important one because, you know, I've often uh, talked about the scarce asset is not property. The scarce asset is not investment grade property. The scarce asset is borrowing capacity, uh, either because of cash flow constraints or equity or whatever. So really, um, it's about allocating that scarce resource as efficiently as possible. Uh, And another case study to share with you. So our credit team developed a strategy for a client uh, recently that that relocated to Melbourne. Of course, that's a a smart move in in and of itself. Uh, So he owned uh, his previous family home, a property in Sydney, which was worth $2.8 had a mortgage of $1.2 so a pretty sizable mortgage. He was thinking about keeping that as an investment and then buying something down here in Melbourne to live in. Uh, And we worked out that the best strategy for him is to actually sell that Sydney property and buy a really good quality home here in Melbourne for around about $3 million, early threes. The alternative to that strategy, if, if he didn't do that, the alternative was to keep Sydney and spend up to two or less than $2 million uh, here in Melbourne. And it was our view that that second option was inferior because it meant that he'd buy an inferior asset. So that is what $2 million just wasn't enough to buy a quality asset in the location that he wanted to reside in. Um, and the way that we looked at it is at least he could cash out of that Sydney market and not pay any capital gains tax. Uh, because obviously the main residence exemption, and then he could reinvest that equity in a superior property by comparison in Melbourne, uh, thereby making his equity work harder for, for him on a tax-free basis because obviously he can continue to claim the main residence exemption on his Melbourne assets. So he's getting that tax-free compounding capital growth. And, and so sometimes borrowing capacity limitations necessitate selling a property, uh, and sometimes you're better off, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket, if you like. 
So as long as you're selling one asset and you're taking that equity and, and investing it in a property that is the same or better in terms of quality, uh, save for transactional costs, uh, that tends to be you know a, a better strategy in the long run. Okay, so hopefully those four examples have given you sort of some insight into you know the situations where it might be worthwhile uh, divesting of an asset. But of course, you need to consider the pros and cons carefully. And there's many factors to take into consideration, including tax outcomes, cash flow, investment strategy, and so on. But of course, if you have a long-term plan, uh, then you have the context to measure those decisions and it does make that uh, decision process to be much easier. Now, let me be really clear, though, uh, just to finish off. I'm not advocating selling assets. I'm not advocating taking profits and moving on. All I'm trying to point out is don't necessarily be too quick to discount selling assets as a bad choice. Sometimes, in fact, selling assets is necessary uh, in order to maximize your position in the long run and also achieve your financial and lifestyle goals. But there needs to be you know, a consequence, a, a, a positive consequence of the sale, uh, just like a, there was in the sort of case studies and examples that I've Uh, shared with you through this podcast episode. Okay, so I hope that's been useful. Uh, Until next week, bye for now.